Hi, and welcome to the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Manny Manuel. And I'm Sam Reimer. Hello, Sam. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Good. <laughs> Good to hear. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. A little under the weather. Have some dental pain. Gonna get taken care of tomorrow. So I'm going to be laid up for a little while, but uh, other than that, not too shabby. I'm honestly surprised you even wanted to record today. I thought you were going to be in immense pain given how many... Uh... How many pauses of how many pauses there were in the last episode of you trying not to scream out in, in agony? I know. I feel I actually feel much better this week, which could be a sign of that things have gotten so bad that my face and tooth doesn't even realize what's going on. <laughs> yeah, your face is just drooping, just a hair on the one side, so <laughs> luckily this is a podcast. They can't see that. I uh, thank God. I know. I have a face for radio anyways. That's true. Um I can confirm that. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about what we've been watching. Sam's watched something that I don't want to talk about, and I've. But we're going to extensively, sadly. (laughs) And I've watched a couple things that uh, we're going to go over as well. Then we're going to get into our uh, discussion of the Blade Runner series, both Blade Runner uh, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And uh, so before we get started, though, Sam, you have a little bit of news for our listeners. Yeah, of course. Obviously, you and I have both known this is coming for a long time. Yeah. But uh, I am. I am moving. I am. (sighs) I've alluded in weeks past to some busy, busy weeks that I've been having. That's mostly uh, been searching for apartments in Calgary for uh, for a new job I'm moving out there for. Moving to Cowtown. So uh, luckily for myself and Manny, we have both decided that we've got something way too special here to, <laughs> to let distance conquer it. I agree. <laughs> we can't let, we're going we're gonna to try long distance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> putting putting more effort into this than into my last relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm anyway, anyways, <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I am. Uh. Today we are recording this on Tuesday, March twenty seventh. I will be leaving the city of Kamloops, British Columbia, on uh, Sunday, April first, and uh, we will try to continue from there on out uh, doing this thing via Skype. Yep. But we're g- we'll make it work. We're having way too much fun doing this way thing to let too it much fun. to let it die. <laughs> so we'll, keep, we'll we're gonna we'll, we'll, for all nine of you that are listening loyally, we'll uh, we'll keep them coming out for you. Oh, for sure. We're not we're not gonna leave you guys high and dry. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll have to supply you with some long rambling content somehow. Yes, so. exactly. So let's get into, oh, right, I forgot to mention, I would like to mention, for those of you, please rate and review us and subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can contact us uh, through email at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com, or you can join our Facebook page. Um, so let's get to what we've been watching. Sam, oh, God, what have you been watching this week? So I happen to know that Manny's watched uh, five different things this week, so he's going to be having the mic for a while after me. So I'm just going to have to drag this movie out for as long as I possibly can. I'll uh, fight you on it. <laughs> I know it's one that uh, Manny's been looking forward for us uh, to review, for us to both watch, although he's uh, neglected watching it as of right now. Oh, I somehow forgot. Um, there are movies that come around every once once in a generation that, uh, that change the art form. And uh, I do believe I saw that movie this week, <sighs> this weekend. And that movie is Pacific Rim Uprising. <laughs> Um, it's, I don't even have the plot synopsis in front of me, but there's really not one to, to have a synopsis of. Well, it, I can read it here. You can go for it, man. Ah. <laughs> this is what they say. Jake Pentecost, son of Stacker Pentecost. The Stacker Pentecost. Reunites <laughs> with Mako Mori, or Mako? Mako? Who cares? 
lead a new generation of Jaeger pilots, including rival Lambert and 15-year-old hacker Amara, against a new kaiju threat. Exactly. So... I'm sensing a little bit of cynicism on behalf of my uh, co-host here. Oh, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, 40, 44 Metascore, by the 44 way. 44 on Metascore, but that's that's not surprising, honestly. I mean, the critics didn't get this movie. <laughs> the critics didn't get what this movie was about. I mean, Citizen Kane didn't win Best Picture the year it came out either. So, I mean, I can understand that this one's going to take some time to ju- digest and really oh appreciate God. what an absolute masterpiece it is. <laughs> You're not enjoying any bit of this, are you? No. I haven't even gotten into anything yet. I'm just ramping it up. And so let's move on. <laughs> hey, I am not done yet. I am not even close. Uh, so all, all jokes aside, if I can talk about this, John Boyega is the lead in this movie, who uh, listeners might know as Finn from uh, the new Star Wars movies. And no matter what he's in, whether you like these movies or not, he has an undeniable level of charisma in everything that he's in. Everything I've ever seen him in, he elevates, uh, in my opinion. I actually have heard in some of the reviews of this film is that John Boyega actually does stand out. He does. And has, like, a movie star quality. For sure. It's similar to, in my opinion, like, in my opinion, like, the last movie star, like, real movie star, in my opinion about what a movie star is, it's still only, the only person is Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Someone that really sticks out from the film, whether it be good or bad, he just kind of radiates from the screen and i've heard that john boyega is starting to get that no i can completely see the similarities another guy that comes to mind is dwayne johnson that's all i could really think of when i was watching this movie is just a guy who puts asses in the seats and has ridiculous plots it also helped that there were trailers for like three dwayne johnson movies in the uh, in the uh, previews for this one so you have a shocked expression on your face at something I was just checking out the director of Pacific Rim Uprising because I've never heard of him. Yeah, his name is Stephen S. DeKnight. It is his directorial debut. It is. And I must say he knocks it out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) He actually has some directing credits for TV. I see. um, Okay. And one of them is a TV show I love Mm -hmm. called Daredevil. Interesting. He directed an episode and I'm like, damn it. His, his direction is fine in this movie. The action is in camera and mostly in focus. <laughs> uh, uh, he does love... It's funny, a lot of the shots in this movie reminded me of... Uh, what's that shitty movie with John Travolta called? Battlefield Earth? Or, no, sorry. Uh, no. That not, is, yeah, is, it, that, is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. It, did, it wasn't that bad. But he loves his Dutch angles. He loves crash zooming on people and throwing the camera a little askew to show things are really ramping up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for real positives in this movie, I mean, his direction is sort of meh, whatever. Um, The world building is surprisingly good. Mm -hmm. They do a good job at the beginning of this movie fleshing out the world that John Boyega comes from. They do a good job of fleshing out some of the more war-torn regions of this planet. But, I mean... All all real criticisms aside, this movie, plot-wise, is, it is what it is. The human antagonists are weak. The, the conflict between humans is, you know, uninteresting. The ending is a little bit rushed. The reason I and the other several million people who went to go see this movie went to it in the first place was because we wanted to see giant robots beat the shit out of giant aliens and you get exactly that the action scenes are great in this movie it's a it has the potential to be just a great guilty pleasure for anyone i know it's a great guilty pleasure for me um 
it's it it does what action sequels should do and that is take the original and just make it extra ridiculous and it does put an extra ridiculous twist on uh the action from the original movie i would highly recommend this movie for anyone who's looking for a good popcorn movie you don't want to think about any anything you know those guys talk about like philosophy and good acting (laughs) and plot points you know, all of all of those irritating things that you find in Oscar caliber movies, you won't find it here. What you will find is giant robots beating the shit out of giant aliens, occasionally with swords, occasionally with laser blasters. It doesn't really matter. It's Oh, and I should also mention the uh, the finale of this movie. Obviously, no spoilers because I know lots of you are going to go watch this. Um <laughs> It takes place on Mount Fuji in Japan, and that's just about all you need to know about how ridiculous and absurd the finale is. I'll also say that uh, they do a good job of setting up the trilogy, which uh, oh. which is good. So I think it's the final line of this movie. It might even be in the credits. Uh, the credits. John Boyega says, "You can tell them that they're not going to have to worry about coming to us because we're coming to them." Oh my <laughs> God. So basically, the ending to Independence Day two. <laughs> But a far better movie than that. So that's that's my review of Pacific Rim. Go see it. I, I'm being genuine when I say this is a guilty pleasure movie for me. I actually loved the first one. I loved this one. It's so dumb and stupid and awesome. Go see it. <laughs> How much of that did you enjoy, Manny? Not a second of it. I'm Not a second? I, I enjoyed this part where we're moving on from it. <laughs> so, Manny, what did you watch this week that was... <laughs> You know, if anything, I know it's a tough act to follow talking about the the gem that is uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, but uh, who knows? Maybe you'll have watched something half decent this week. I watched, uh, (laughs) well, I I finished off uh, season two of Jessica Jones. Um, Like I'd mentioned the previous time, I'd gotten both through the first four episodes, so I had the remaining nine. Uh, I had a lot of free time this weekend as I got a little sick, so uh, I had a lot of free time. So I finished off Jessica Jones. And uh, it turned out really good. Um, there's some a little a few plot twists. Uh, one, like there is with every Netflix Marvel series, there's one episode that really stands out. Um, and I don't really want to give away which episode it is because it's kind of spoilery. Um, but it's kind of the episode that focuses on the villain of this year. Um, and then season one's villain kind of makes a little bit of an appearance um he's played by david Tennant, um and like i mentioned before he plays a, a guy named kilgrave um who's probably if you incorporate the netflix marvel with the mcu he's probably in my opinion easily the best villain in all of marvel um just a fantastic villain and just better than loki hey yes wow yes easily and better than um killmonger Yes. Wow. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. That, that is some high praise right there. Yes. It, I like, he's phenomenal. If anybody wants to watch something really good, please watch season one of Jessica Jones. If you like season one, you'll probably like season two if you really enjoyed the character of Jessica Jones. Um, but Kilgrave makes an appearance in season two, and it's it's not really spoiler. It's near the end of the series, the end of the season, and he just reminds you you're just like oh you're so brilliant um but it was good i really enjoyed it again like i've mentioned before and i will continue to mention numerous times i have a complete bias towards these because i love marvel and i love everything they do um so i really enjoyed it 
after Jessica Jones, uh, I watched a couple of movies. Um, one is the, well, I guess for most people, we could call it the comedy classic, 2001 Super Troopers. Oh, we're going to talk about Super Troopers right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Super Troopers, five Vermont state troopers, avid pranksters with a knack for screwing up, try to save their jobs, and outdo the local police department by solving a crime. I just got to say before you start talking about yes. I, I love Super Troopers. I, it's probably one of my favorite comedies that I've only seen a limited number of times. Like, I've probably seen it less than three times. Yep. But even within those times, it's so damn quotable. It's so much fun. and The characters are a lot of fun in this yes, movie. Yes, it, it is absolutely fantastic. It's... I actually I don't think I've met somebody that hasn't liked Super Troopers. Um, does the sequel come out this year? Or? It does come out this year. Nice. I'm really nervous about it. Yeah, these comedy sequels that come out are they tend to be not so great. Yeah, but and this, I'll I'll remain optimistic. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably go to the theater and see it. I, I'm not sure. I may wait, just wait until it comes out on video. Um, but like this this movie didn't really need a sequel. None of them do, but it's but it's money. But it, for the people that like like for the people that like this movie, they like it a lot. And there's a lot to like. Um, there's just so many great scenes. There's so many quotable lines, just like you said. Like I I don't even know where to begin. Rewatching it, I hadn't probably haven't probably watched it in at least two or three years, and I still laughed. Not as hard as I did the first time, obviously, course. but but yeah, the right meow scene <laughs> is just awesome. And I still ask my friends all the time if we're out getting fast food, if they want a large farva. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants a mustache ride? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's such, it's such a fun movie. If any of you out there haven't seen Super Troopers, it is on Netflix. Please look it up. You, If you're looking for a great comedy, this is definitely the way to go. It's low budget. It's super fun. You can tell that these guys get along because they all work in a comedy troupe together and it, their chemistry is undeniable. No, the comedic chemistry with these guys is, off the charts i mean from the very first scene uh it's just non-stop laughs it, like there's i i honestly like i said i've only seen this movie a few times i can't even remember many plot points off the top of my head mm -hmm. it's the quotes it's the moments it's the jokes in yep. this in this movie that absolutely steal the spotlight it's not winning any awards and i don't think it did but it's uh the writing in this movie is incredibly good uh one of film oh one of it was the winner of the, it was the actually it was the audience award winner at the South by Southwest Film Festival in two thousand one. That is very surprising. No, not bad. Must have been some shit movies that year. <laughs> no, South by Southwest is it's not. It's a pretty good film festival. Oh, yeah. Um, the other movie I watched, or one of the other movies I watched, um, again, I'd I'd heard about this movie, and it's on Netflix now, and it's called Brigsby Bear. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, so. I'll do the best I can. And there's no IMDb uh, plot synopsis, you said, right? It is, but it it's not... Not a good one? Yeah, it doesn't really tell you kind of what the movie's about. It's a, It doesn't even really describe it accurately. Um, so, uh, this kid, it starts off with this... I shouldn't say kid, I'm sorry, he's an adult. And he seems to be watching this children's program called Brigsby Bear. And it's really low budget, and you, you're you can see by the TV screen like this is old. You're like, is this set in like the early '80s? Like, what's going on? And then he, you meet his father and his mother, and it appears that they're living in some post-apocalyptic future. They're li like living in this underground bunker. And ten minutes in, um, 
this guy, his name's James, he puts on this gas mask and goes outside just to sit outside and look at the stars. And he sees off in the distance blinking lights, like cops coming. And there's a whole bunch of them coming. Well, it turns out that James was actually kidnapped as a baby by these two people and raised all alone. And this, there's, this is not the future. This is set in present day. And his dad, played by Mark Hamill, has been going off when he goes off to work each day in this post-apocalyptic kind of future. It's not like post-apocalyptic, but like he, they've been telling their son that you can't go outside. It's, it's poisonous outside. He goes out and he's making this Brigsby Bear show for his son. And there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of episodes. And that's what he's been doing. And so James gets reunited with his family, his real family, and but he he doesn't know really much anything about the world. The only thing he knows and what he's learned in life, he's learned from the show called Brigsby Bear. And he associates everything in his life about Brigsby Bear. So he starts trying to describe to people what it is. And people kind of seem a little interested. So he goes to this party, and this James is probably early... Sorry, he's probably in his late 20s, and he has a sister who's probably late teens, maybe early 20s. She takes him to this party where he meets a friend of his sister's and starts telling him about Brigsby Bear. And this guy's like, that sounds kind of weird and nutty. He's like, do you think I could watch it? And James is super excited that somebody's interested in this because his whole life, his whole life is Brigsby Bear. So he he lends this his this new his new friend some videos and the guy watches him comes back he's like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen <laughs> and so he starts telling like james this decides he's like well i i want to make i want to finish this cuz my 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 dad my fake dad never finished it he's like i want to make a movie so the two of them get together and make a brigsby bear movie and his other friends start helping him and so he finishes the brigsby bear tale that his dad started and it's all about this guy remaking this show that nobody else in the entire world had ever seen because his dad fake dad that kidnapped him made this just for him and it's it's all about believing in yourself it's all about following your dreams it is also about reconnecting because he has to reconnect with a family he's never known and it's it's not a it's definitely not a drama but it's not a laugh out loud comedy. It's just kind of a feel good kind of story. And James is like completely oblivious to the world and how social interactions work because the only people he knew in his entire life were his mom and dad, his kidnappers. But he's so good hearted because of this show that he just kind of melts. He, he kind of can accept everything that's going on around him, but he doesn't really know the way things are. It's really, it's really hard to explain. That's the best way I can explain it. And that's why prior to the show, I said to you, it's a combination of Room and The Room. It's about a guy making a movie that is not a good movie. It is bad. It's poor production. Like, this guy has no filmmaking skills whatsoever. But he, they make this whole movie. And it's also about a guy who's been imprisoned his whole life coming back into society. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds remarkably fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's got a 68 on Metascore. 
It sounds it, super interesting. It is, and it's really short. It's it's only an hour and a half long, so it's not a big investment. It's it, on Netflix? It is on Netflix now. I have to watch. That sounds weird as fuck. It and is, something that's like up my alley. Yeah, that sounds so weird. Like I said, if you're interested in trying out something that's different, take a look at this movie. Huh. There's very few like laugh out loud moments, but there are moments that are going to make you smile. It's very heartwarming, but not tear-inducing. It just walks that line kind of perfectly. The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know if I like this. No, I do like this. This is kind of nice. But you're never, there's no, in my opinion, there's no gut-busting laughing. There are a couple really good comedic moments. But the the guy that plays James is an actor I, I don't know whose name is Kyle Mooney. Um, I don't know who he is. No idea. Um, but there's some other people in it, like, you know, everyone knows Mark Hamill. Of course. Um, and then Greg Kinnear plays the detective on his case who helps, tries to help him. Um, there's um, a, Claire Danes is, has a small cameo as his therapist. Um, and there's a couple other. Andy Samberg has a, a small cameo. Sweet. Because um, he's actually one of the producers on the film. Okay, weird. Uh, yeah, um, it's, it is. It's it's definitely worth it's worth checking out. Um, if you have if you have an hour half to kill, you kind of watch want to watch something different from what you've been watching. Please check out Brigsby Bear and let me know what you think. That sounds super. I, I'm very intrigued by that actually. Good. I'm, That's I'm, interesting. I'm glad. I, and I hope if for any of you listeners, if you do end up checking it out, please let me know what you think. I, I'd love to know what other people think because I I enjoyed the movie. It was nice. It's probably completely off off topic, but another great weird movie on Netflix. You ever seen The Lobster? No, I've heard about it. Oh, that is, I know all about it. That's one of the most fucked up movies I've ever seen in my life, and it's kind of awesome. But that's I that's a story for another day. So even though we're continuing going, uh, <laughs> we don't have to get too much in this because we got into it pretty in depth. Uh, I rewatched Wonder Woman, right? Um, and in retrospect, now I kind of really came down in our review, our top ten of twenty seventeen. I uh-huh. came down hard in the third act, way back in episode one, way back in episode one. Um, rewatching this, the third act wasn't as bad as I remember. My main problem with the third act is kind of like the final fight scene. It's a little too CGI ish, yeah, for me. But the third act is, it is really good. And I and your favorite moment from the film, like you mentioned, when she realizes after she's supposedly killed. Aries, mm-hmm. spoilers, sorry. Supposedly, though. Supposedly. Yeah. Um, she realizes that nothing's changed. That is a really good moment. That was a really powerful scene for me. I mentioned that in our top 10. Yeah. Like you said, that when, and the way Chris Pine sort of lifts her spirits up after that, saying that, like, it's not, the evil of humankind is not about one person. Like, mm-hmm. It's all of us. We all need to do better. That was a really yeah. powerful moment in my opinion and once again the no man's land did it, it brought me to tears again i believe that um so because we went so far into one Woman, we won't touch that and that brings me to last movie uh i watched which i texted you when i started watching it because <laughs> i was so excited yeah. um because i hadn't seen it since i saw it in the theaters mm-hmm. and that's wind river what a what a great movie! Is it still up there on the leaderboard? Because this was your third favorite movie. This is my year, number right? three. Oh, it's yeah. still up there. Yeah. Um, rewatching it just reminded me of how fucking amazing this movie is. Um, and one of our in our uh, in our Sampa's uh, episode. episode. Thank you. <laughs> you uh, nominated Jeremy Renner for your best meal performance. I did. Is re- he deserving of the Sampa? Re- rewatching this, it is chilling on how good he is mm-hmm. i kind of really i think i kind of got lost in his perf- 
his performance for me got lost because of how good the movie is. He, he didn't quite stand out. Rewatching this, knowing what you said, really made me appreciate his performance in this movie even more. If any of you haven't seen Wind River, it is on Netflix now. Please oh, watch it. Yeah, it was when we did our top 10 episode. It was Manny's third favorite of the year. It was my second favorite. I mean, we've recommended it enough. I also mentioned in just about every episode that it comes up that it got nominated for zero Oscars this year, which is an absolute travesty. But it's a brilliant movie. Like you said, Jeremy Renner, while his performance is great, it does kind of get lost just because the the plot of this movie is so insane. It's written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, who was the guy who wrote Sicario. And Hell or High Water. And Hell or High Water, both of which are brilliant movies. Both of which, if you haven't seen, you need to watch immediately. Yeah, but Wind River is his directorial debut on top of writing it as well. Yeah. And he... I... I am going to see anything that has the name Taylor Sheridan on it from here on out. Because yeah. all three of those movies you just listed are brilliant. These are absolutely amazing. If um, Yeah, please, please give Wind River a chance. Um, it is more of serious fare, so please kind of be ready to invest into a movie. There's some very, very dark subject matter. It's about in, uh, an animal tracker who's investigating a rape with a with the help of an FBI officer. So it's a pretty pretty dark subject matter. Yeah, it is. And it's absolutely brilliant. I don't, I don't... We did get into it in depth in episode one, so there's no reason to rehash it as much as we both are itching to talk about Wind River. We can talk about it when the mics go off. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about it forever. So that's what I've been watching this week. I've I've had, uh, like I said, I had a lot of free time, so uh, I really got to watch some really good, some really good TV and some really good movies. Yeah, and I also got to watch uh, Pacific Rim, so we both watched some good movies. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so let's let's move on, please. Manny is resisting the urge to jump over the table and strangle me right now. Oh god! That'll be one of the nice things about when you're in Calgary. Is I won't be able to physically harm you yeah, i can talk uh talk about all the shitty movies i want though. oh god uh so let's get into our discussion uh our main part of our episode today and that's a discussion on the blade runner series um let's start with the 1982 film blade runner well is it the 1982 film or is it the <laughs> uh 1992 film or is it the, which, which film exactly are we talking about here manny well, actually, um, we kind of both watched different versions. For those of you that aren't aware, Blade Runner went through a whole bunch of versions, but we're going to get into that. Let me first give you a little synopsis. Uh, Blade Runner, it was made in 1982. Uh, it was directed by Ridley Scott. Um, it was written by a man named Hampton Fancher, who's also a, um, a producer on the film. And then it was also, the screenplay was also worked on by David Peoples. Um, Starring Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, um, Edward James Olmos. Uh, that's, well, there's a couple other people. Um, <laughs> but the plot synopsis, a Blade Runner must pursue and try to terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. And just to hash that out a little bit more, replicants are sort of uh, artificial humans. They look and talk and act almost exactly like humans. Uh, but they're robotic. They're manufactured by a company whose name escapes me right now. Uh, the Tyrell Corporation. The Tyrell Corporation. Thank you. And uh, Blade Runners are the names associated or assigned to the uh, the people who are tracked down with hunting down and killing them. So yes. that's uh, Harrison Ford is the Blade Runner. Yep. Um, Blade Runner is considered a sci-fi classic. Um, it has an eighty-nine on Metascore. Um, it was nominated for two awards, Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects that year. Uh, didn't win either. Um, when we talked about, just before we said about, the reason that there's so many versions of this film, 
um, is that the creative control was taken away from Ridley Scott by the producers. So there's the version that was first released in theaters wasn't the true vision that Ridley Scott had. Yeah, um, from what I've read about it, the version that was released in theaters, there are numerous differences throughout the middle, but the main uh, difference is the ending, if I remember correctly, yeah. right? They they really Hollywooded up the ending because it's the the real ending. Obviously, I don't know if we're gonna get into spoilers. We today. are heads up right now. We're gonna spoil the shit out of both Blade Runner and after we finish this, we're gonna talk about Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So we're gonna spoil the shit out of these movies for sure. So the endings of uh, the different versions of the original Blade Runner are, are vastly different in my experience. In the I haven't actually seen the first, uh, the original theatrical ending, mm-hmm. but from what I understand, it's totally inferior. Um, it's totally Hollywooded up. Um, there's a happy ending I, between uh, Harrison Ford and uh, his female co-star. Yeah, um, played by Sean Young. Sean Young, sorry. <clears throat> Rachel is the character's name. Correct, yeah, <coughs> Rachel, sorry. that's right. Um, I have seen the original theatrical cut, um, but I haven't seen it probably since the late 80s, so I actually don't remember yeah. um, how different it was. I've only watched um, the one of the many cuts called a director's cut, which is very similar to the cut that Sam has watched, which is called the final cut. Yeah, so the final cut is supposed to be the version, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It's the only one... That even though there's one called the director's cut that also came out, the final cut is the only one that Ridley Scott had total and complete creative control over. So it's the one that he says is Blade Runner. Correct. Correct. Um, the movie. The funny thing about the movie, um, it's when it was made in 1982, it was set in the future of 2019, which is only a year away from now. Yeah, and it's funny looking at, <laughs> looking at some of the technology. They actually weren't that far off. No, like, they weren't. Some of it looks. Like an '80s version of futuristic tech, yes, but a lot of it, like like voice operated, uh, like or they have uh, video chats, they have yep. voice operate like sort of Siri type systems. Yep. Uh, they have uh, very intense cameras with very intense zoom features. Yep. Like some of the technology in this movie actually isn't that far off from what we got. I mean, okay, they also have like hover cars and stuff like yes. that, but but they they weren't too far off. They weren't, and they obviously have like completely human acting and realistic robots yes correct in the replicants. <laughs> um this movie is considered a sci-fi classic um unpopular opinion here i'm actually not a huge fan of this movie i'm actually so glad that you said that because <laughs> i i've seen this movie twice now i yep. obviously rewatched it in pre- preparation for uh, this week's episode and i watched it uh again about a year ago for the first time i think mm-hmm. um it's it's good I think it's a good movie, and I would probably watch it again if somebody said, hey, you want to come over tonight and watch Blade Runner? I don't love this movie. It's very slow. It's very methodical, and I'm not opposed to that as a rule. I mean, there are some movies that are very slow and very good. In fact, one of them is the next movie we're going to be talking about. Um, But I don't know. The pacing of this movie is very unconventional, even today. Mm -hmm. Um, The acting is very good. The plot's very creative. And the ending is also very creative. I love the the, the, the final cut ending, and yep. I'm sure it's the directorial cut ending as well. Yep. Um, those endings are very very good. Yep. Um, but the the middle portions of the movie, honestly, it can get boring at times. It it does. It, it had it really had. I'm as everybody probably knows by now, and you know for sure. Like I'm a film freak. Yeah, for sure. Um, and but this one still, I I had seen it before, um, numerous times. Um, but again, I found rewatching it this time to get ready for this podcast. I found again, I did find the middle parts hard for me to 
hold and grasp my attention. Um, but I remember seeing that the first time. I, the first time I watched this in the mid to late 80s when it came out on video. Um, so I'm younger. I'm in my teens. Your idea of this movie, this is a sci-fi movie with what you know from the trailers. It's got killer robots. And it's got Harrison Ford, so this is going to be fucking unreal. When I first heard the premise of this movie, I thought there was about a 0% chance I would have any flaws in it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but this is, a, this, is a, a, like, this is a real, in a literal sense, in a literal sense of the word, this is a science fiction film. This is a film. This is not a movie. No, no, no. This when you think of sci-fi and you think of lasers and you think of something like Star Wars, for example, yep. which is just a fun, campy movie. I, I'm talking about the original here, the original yep. Star Wars. Blade Runner is like the anti-Star Wars. It's, yes, it is just completely dark and philosophical, and yes. it's a very heady, heady movie. Whereas Star Wars is just pure, unadulterated fun. Blade Runner is just the polar opposite of that. You gotta think to enjoy this movie. Yeah, totally. This requires a lot of paying attention, a lot of thinking, um, and for a lot of people, I can understand that's not what they're looking for when they go see a movie. It's, no, this movie is not at all for everyone. No, not at all. Um, that being said, um, the things that I enjoy about this movie, I enjoy even more now, and that's the visual style of Ridley Scott uh, and his cinematographer, whose name is Jordan Cronenworth. Cronenworth, sorry. Um, this movie is visually, even nowadays, it's still visually stunning. Like I mentioned, I hadn't seen this movie probably until last year, so till about 2017. And even now, the there are some things that are done visually in this movie that I that, that I'm still astounded by here in the year 2018. Uh, let alone, I can only imagine audiences in the year 1982 um, seeing these things for the first time. The the landscapes, the <sighs> The, the hover cars, some of the uh, the effects that are done with the replicants and things that they can do. Um, there are just numerous, numerous visual things in this movie. Most in particular, the cityscapes uh, yes. that are just breathtaking even today. Yeah, and that's one of the things for those of you that haven't seen Blade Runner and decide to take a chance on this. And I don't know if our review is actually <laughs> I don't know if our review is actually going to be able to sell you on this seeing it. This is actually a good movie worth watching at least once, in my opinion. I'll I, put put I, that out. I agree. Seeing this at least once is definitely worth it. It'll give you a taste on as pretentious as this sounds. Blade Runner is actually the perfect idea of what a film is yeah. instead of a movie. It's a, it's a film that's trying to say something. Yep. It's trying to communicate ideas to you. And I'm saying that it's trying to say something is actually an understatement because there's a lot of balls in the air with this one. <sighs> Man, there's so many. And But again, for me, the highlight of this movie um, is the visual style of it. The the Just like you said, the sets, the look, the special effects. This is a gorgeous film. Gorgeous film. Um the one thing I noticed as well, again, this is 82, so what was that? That's 36. 36 years ago? Yeah, man. God damn. <laughs> I forgot how handsome Harrison Ford was. Harrison Ford was a looker. Absolutely. Holy <laughs> shit. When he first appeared on the screen, I'm like, God damn damn sir you're looking good no there's a reason that everyone's grandmother has a crush on harrison ford and yes it's because he was back in the 70s and 80s especially back in like the raiders of the lost ark days he was a, he was a hunk yeah and yeah he's a total hunk in here um rucker Hauer as roy batty well actually well yeah rucker Hauer as roy batty um just a fantastic character um the end scene um and again, we're going to spoil it. His little monologue right before he dies is 
breathtaking. No, it's one of the iconic moments in sci-fi history, actually. Yes. If you ask true sci-fi nerds about some of the best speeches that have ever been put to film in a sci-fi movie, the Tears and Rain monologue is usually what people will point to as one of the great moments that's that's ever been put to sci-fi film. And one of the great things about the, the Tears and Rain um, line itself is Rutger Hauer came up with that himself. Yeah, I don't know if he improvised it or... He, he improvised it during the table read. Yeah, and then uh, Ridley Scott liked it because yeah. I, I did read uh, some of the original versions of the uh, Tears and Rain uh, speech and none of them even come close like the reason it's so iconic is because of how thematic it is yep and because uh rutger Hauer's character roy is a replicant who all of his memories are going to be all of his experience everything is going to be to be lost he says like tears and rain yeah and it's just a, a beautiful little <sighs> metaphor that he or i guess a simile that he throws in there that's uh and i mean he's sitting in the rain dying as he's giving the speech and it's it's chilling yes um for those of you that don't know replicants um i can't remember his version i think the nexus six or whatever yeah, I, think, I think roy's nexus six it doesn't really doesn't matter, really matter no. his version of of replicants only have a four-year lifespan and so the reason he's come back to earth is to try and find his creator so he can live longer and that's one of the things he is the antagonist of the film but he's actually a good guy all he wants to do is live. That's I, not a bad thing. I entirely realized that upon the upon the rewatch of this movie, he does kill some people in this movie, but they're all people who are kind of despicable and people who have fucked him over. Like mm -hmm. he he kills his creator, he kills the uh, the leader of the Tyrell Corporation. Yep. But only because he gave him a four year lifespan, and when he realizes that this guy's not serving me, and he realizes he's an evil person, he brutally, I should add, kills him. He yep. crushes his head and poke pokes in his eyes i guess yeah and if, it, it's brutal but you a you understand where he's coming from and b he's not even that unjustified in doing it ag agreed like this movie if this movie had been told from roy batty's perspective it could be just as interesting if not more interesting i think i would think it'd be more interesting he would be the here he is in my he actually is in my opinion he is the hero of this film for sure like he's being hunted down for no other reason that he exists yeah and he didn't ask to be born. He didn't ask to be created. And I should also add Ridley Scott in just about every movie he's ever written. I don't know if he's a Christian, but he has a ton of Christian symbology. He has a ton of themes. Like, he even gets a little bit too on the nose with some of the symbolism in this movie. Like, at one point, Roy puts a nail through his hand. Yeah. And like, boy, I wonder who that's supposed to symbolize. Um, he gets a little bit too on the nose with the Christian uh, symbolism at times. But uh, he also has, this movie is also very much about what it's like to be human and what makes you human. Yep. Um, and in a way, the conclusion that Ridley Scott reaches is that it's the, the will to survive. It's, the, it's looking death in the face and just trying to buy a little bit more time on Earth. And that's what uh, Rutger Hauer's character Roy is doing is just looking for looking to his creator for a little bit more time on the earth which i think is something that lots of people can relate to i agree <laughs> speaking of what's it like to be human or not one of the biggest controversies of this film is the unanswered question is deckard and that's harrison ford's character mm -hmm. is he a replicant or not prior to seeing blade runner 2049 which basically answers that question for you yes what did you think? Do you think Deckard is a human or a replicant? Honestly, upon the first watch of this movie, I wasn't aware of those fan theories, and I didn't even pick up on anything. I, like, I, I, After finishing this movie the first time around, I realized there was some stuff I should probably pick up on a rewatch, but mm -hmm. I wasn't quite 
fully developed on it. Um, I still don't really have a theory either, either way. I'm more familiar with why people would at least think that now. Yep. But I, I based on Blade Runner alone. Yes. I, uh, I was leaning probably no. Personally, what same ab- same here. What about you? Uh, same here. I believe that he was a human. Yeah. Um. Again, I haven't seen the final cut, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if you remember, but there is a scene where, and I don't know what it is because I haven't seen it, but right. there's a scene where Harrison Ford's eyes reflect that orange color in the irises that the replicants do. Oh, I didn't even notice that actually. Okay. There's <laughs> several scenes. They show it in the director's cut, which I watched where there are certain times when a replicant will be looking towards the camera and that includes and because this is set in the future even the animals are replicants there's no animals anymore in the world so like the owl that Tyrell has um it turns and looks at the camera and there's uh orange inside the pupil there's a replicant snake i think at some point yeah but i don't think they show the the snake's eyes i'm not eyes. sure they do no but like all the replicants so um roy batty there's mm-hmm. a scene he looks at the camera his eyes are orange um pris looks at the camera her eyes are orange it's not every time it's just sometimes yeah um leon the 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 big killer of yeah. the four that comes down yeah he's the replicant to it's he's the reason why replicants are set up as villains is because he is a ruthless killer yeah he is a ruthless killer yeah. uh and zora as well the snake dancing replicant naked lady yes with the see-through plastic jacket what a lovely description (laughs) (laughs) she too has a scene where when she looks towards the camera her eyes flash orange so in the final cut i have heard there's a scene might be near the end Mm -hmm. where deckard looks at the camera and his eyes are they have that orange which basically says he's a replicant because all the human characters do that and there is actually if i'm not mistaken as well um rachel Obviously, a replicant yeah. has that as well in this movie. I was I was looking for it because I'd heard about it later, so I was wondering if the cut that I watched, which again is the director's cut, not the 2007 mm-hmm. final cut, um, if there was a scene where Harrison Ford's eyes had that orange, but there wasn't. But I heard that there is in the final. Yeah, maybe cut. it was either too subtle that I didn't notice it, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention hard enough because I, if I did see it, it didn't regi- didn't hit the register. There's another scene, I guess, that's supposed to point to the fact that he's a replicant. Again, I think it's just in the final cut. It's the Dream of the Unicorn? No, that's in the director's cut. That's in the director's cut? Yeah. I have heard people pointing to that as evidence for him being a replicant, but it just makes sense thematically with the movie, even with him being a human, so I don't really understand the evidence behind that. For me, the theory about the unicorn is that, remember, for replicants, Mm -hmm. uh, memories are implanted. Yes. So their theory on why the unicorn dream proves that he's a replicant is that Gaff leaves the origami folding of the unicorn outside of his apartment at the end which uh-huh. means that gaff knows his dream which is a not a dream but an implanted memory right okay. that's the connection that right. that theory goes on mm-hmm. with him having the unicorn dream means that it's an implanted memory which gaff knows is an implanted mm-hmm. memory that's why he leaves him the origami unicorn outside of his apartment i don't know if this is in the director's cut as well but there's also uh, an overdub of a line that he had said previously to deckert he said, it's a shame she won't live, but then again, no one does, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. And uh, I don't think it's in the director's cut, if I remember correctly, but in the final cut, that plays over when he holds up the unicorn. So in my mind, that almost sort of negates that point. It's just, it, it, that line is just saying that, uh, you know, she's as human as any of us, is sort of how I interpreted that particular line. It's but, possible. And that's or, one of the, like, and that's, again, one of the reasons why Blade Runner is so highly regarded, is that it does not 
answer questions. It prov- it asks questions. It doesn't answer them. And yeah. that, for me, is a, a mark of, of what a great film can be. It doesn't have to be. Like, no. I, I do like movies that answer questions as well. Some of the best films out there are the ones that make a case for a certain point of view. Yep. But... Blade Runner doesn't do that. It makes you think. It says, all right, here's all the evidence. Here's a story that we've showed you. What do you think the right answers to these questions are? And they're, they're not easy questions at all. They're very complicated. Um, so I guess for me, is there anything else that you really want to touch on with Blade Runner? Um, oh, actually, there is something for me, but yeah, go ahead. No, go for it. Go for um, it. So with the... Uh, Time's up and the Me Too movements. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I did want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. So <laughs> Deckard falls in love. With, Deckard falls in love with Rachel in this movie. Deckard is Harrison Ford, and Rachel is played by again. Her name is Sean Young. Sean Young. Right. So Deckard, for all intents and purposes, we'll just say he's a human for now. She is a replicant. Yes. Um, the sex scene in this movie, to put it mildly, did not age well. <laughs> uh, Smidge rapey. Uh, it, I would I would go on to say it's incredibly rapey. I, I don't I don't mean to make light of the fact that it, it is basically rape. No, it's essentially a rape is what happens. I don't and, mean to make light of it, but that's kind of how love scenes were yeah, back then. And it's not like it's very James Bondy, and I'm not talking about like Daniel Craig. I'm talking about like uh, Sean Connery James Bond, where he's essentially forcing himself on women, and then the entire audience goes, "Wow, what a ladies' man!" <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, like he essentially forces himself on Rachel. She tr- he kisses her. She gets up and tries to leave. He slams the door as she's trying to leave. Yep. He pins her up against the wall. Yep. And I should also mention that meanwhile the score is playing, and it's playing this very romantic sort of futuristic jazzy like smooth jazz romantic song the score is trying to make you feel like oh what a romantic moment and meanwhile there's a full-on sexual assault happening on screen yes <laughs> like full like not even downplaying in any way shape or form no, this look is a up, full-on sexual look up assault. the blade runner uh the blade runner sex scene i, I don't even know because they don't actually have sex they cut away before they actually do have sex but i'm it's sure implied I'm, that they do yeah yeah oh yeah yeah um, I don't even know, but I promise you, if you look this up, you will be shocked that this could pass for romance in the year 1982. Yes. And ev- I'm sure it could pass even more recently than that. But, but yeah, as recently as 36 years ago, full on rape, uh, was played with romantic, uh, music over top of it on, on big screens. So there's also that to keep in mind with this movie. Yeah, Ridley it, Scott has some fucked up ideas about women on occasion. That, well, this is, in all honesty, if you, if you kind of start rewatching, um, some of the '80s movies and before that, yeah. this is almost what passed. Well, I'm not gonna say almost. This is what passed for a lot of love scenes. The guy being overly aggressive with the woman. Yeah, no, not taking no for an answer. Nope, and not letting her leave when nope. she wants to leave. I, an example I always give. I already talked about Sean Connery and James Bond. Another one is Rocky. The first scene where him and Adrian have a date is very rapey, like where she. Uh, She's like, no, Rocky, I want to go home. Like, take me home. He's like, oh, just come in for a drink, Adrian. And yep. like, like, he has to tell her, like, multiple times to come inside. And he won't let her leave when she says she wants to go home. Like, <sighs> this was a problem pre, let's say, 2000 or even, I don't know, later. But Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not pretty. It doesn't age well. But we definitely wanted to address it because when I was watching yeah. it, I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then I watched it again. I was like... Holy sweet Jesus. If you just skip over that three-minute scene and pretend there was a very nice consensual love scene <laughs> in the middle of it, the movie works. But yes. yeah, with with what it is, it's a little bit uh, unsettling. 
Um, but other other than the, other other than the rape slash love scene, did yeah. you want to touch upon anything else? Um, I think there's a that's not a great note to end on, but I <laughs> I honestly can't uh, see anything more. That is a note that I had written on here that I uh, that I had uh, wanted to touch on. I guess as long as we were t- touching on the score in that scene. Um, and sort of the age of this movie. I did want to just say that the score, I can't remember who it's written by. That's another thing that didn't age well in this movie. Is that the, oh, the synth score? The synth score did not <laughs> age well. Like, you can just tell in the year 1982, they're like, have you heard of this new instrument called the keyboard? And they just, like, played some weird synth music on it, and that's essentially what happened to the score in this movie. It's It didn't particularly age well. It sounds very, very 80s, but it it can work for, for what it is. It just doesn't sound very futuristic. It sounds retro these days uh interesting it just i was trying to find who did the who did the score but it just says music by vangelis odd yeah all right so we don't (laughs) i have no idea who that is neither do i but good for them i suppose i guess so so whatever so that's uh that's kind of blade runner um I I would I would recommend just like it was I think what you said was perfectly. I think everybody should try and check out this movie once. Yeah. Um again, it is a it is a great example of what a film is. It's very heady, it's very deep. You have to pay attention. Um get lost in the visuals. I think even now by 2018 standards, you'll still be astounded by what they accomplished in 1982. For sure. Um it just I know I was. It just proves again what a great visual filmmaker that Ridley Scott is. Um, you know, look past the rape scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it is a movie you have to invest in. It, this is not this is not a popcorn film. This no, is, absolutely yeah. not. This is not something like you invite a bunch of guys over for a party, have a few beers, and throw on Blade Runner. Like you need to you need to pay attention. Totally. Um, so that's about it for Blade Runner. Well, I'm ready to go on to uh, what I think will be the meat of the discussion uh, of. And we're already pushing 50 minutes here. Holy Jesus. But I think uh, Blade Runner 2049 is a movie that warrants some discussion because you have been telling me to watch this movie since it came out. And unfortunately, I did not get to catch it in theaters, which is too bad because it's visually very stunning, which we'll get into. Yep. Um, But watching this movie for the first time, uh, I was sort of cautiously optimistic because I knew it was getting great reviews. I, I, Like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of Blade Runner. I did enjoy it. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. This is one of the best sci-fi movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Yes! Um, It is absolutely outstanding. Oh, I'm Um, so happy right now. (laughs) I am so happy right now. It is... There's so much to talk about, and we're going to dive into it. Okay, before Um, we dive into it. Sure, let's let's get them set up for the movie. (laughs) Right. So Blade Runner 2049, it's directed by Denis Villeneuve. They the screenplay is by two people. Um, they actually asked Hampton Fancher to come back and write the screenplay. He's actually not a big fan of. He didn't want to really do the sequel, but he was a producer on the previous one, so they asked him back. So he wrote kind of like a hundred and twenty page idea slash outline for it, and then just handed it off. And then Michael Green, who was nominated for best original screenplay this year for Logan. He polished it off. He's the Oof, one that finished it. What a year for him. I know, right? Um, so, like I mentioned, it was directed by Denis Villeneuve, who is... One of both of our favorites right now. Rocketing up the charts for one of my favorite directors. Easily in my top ten right now. We already talked about Sicario. It was a great movie written yep. by Taylor Sheridan. That was directed by Denis Villeneuve. Yep. Uh, Arrival was a brilliant movie that was directed by Denis Villeneuve, also nominated for Best Picture. 
Um, prisoners. Prisoners. Oh my god, prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, we've recommended people go back and rewatch numerous times on the show, and so, I need to go back and rewatch. Yeah, so Blade Runner with an 81 Metascore. Here's the plot synopsis. Wait, it has an 81 Metascore? Yeah. That is obscenely low considering the 89 for Blade Runner. But I know. Okay. Uh, a young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. That's kind of a... That really, is a very, very vague description. Yes, a very vague description of a densely, immensely amazing film. Okay, so I'm going to stop right here. Yes. I know we've mentioned that we we're going to spoil this movie, but it's worth planting a flag right here. Yeah. Go watch this movie right now if you have not seen it because we are going to spoil it. This is a brilliantly done movie and I would feel awful if I knew I had spoiled it for even a single person because yes. everyone should experience this movie. I'm going to echo those statements. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049, please stop listening now and go watch it. Like I said in episode one, watching the original Blade Runner is not required viewing to enjoy this film. If you do, though, watch the original Blade Runner and then watch this, a lot more things will make sense, and a couple things will be even more impactful. But I think not- it will enhance your experience for sure if you do watch it. I, Again, I can't really say for sure just because I already had seen the Blade Runner before I mm-hmm. watched it. I will say that uh, a friend of mine, I can't remember who it was, uh, said that they watched this uh, without watching the original Blade Runner and said it, there were some confusing parts for them, but for the most part, they found it very enjoyable. Yep. So, yeah. If Go watch... I mean, that's a little bit too much homework, I think, for most people. Just go watch Blade Runner 2049 if you haven't. Yes, please. I, we can't stress that enough. Okay, you've been warned. We've kind of been <laughs> rambling for about a minute or two to give you enough time to stop <laughs> listening. Now we're going to spoil the shit out of my number two movie of the year. And one, I should add, I didn't have on my list, of course, because I hadn't seen it. But um, there's no question in my mind, this probably, I mean, if I'm just if I'm just going by gut right now, I'd probably place it number three yep. uh, behind Three Billboards and Wind River and ahead of Baby Driver. Um, I would honestly have to sit down and think really hard about that and see if it could even go ahead of Wind River. Um, but for right now, I'll say it's at least top three of 2017. Which means me. our top three would have been exactly <laughs> They would have been exactly the same <laughs> if that's the case, yeah. <laughs> okay, so since I've been waiting and anticipating you to see this yeah uh, and just looking across the way here i can see this isn't even all of them you can see my notes i have even more than this let's (laughs) since you've got the fresh take on it yeah i did just watch this last night actually that's awesome yeah so i i've watched it again over the weekend for the third or fourth time oh i can't wait to rewatch this movie already let's (laughs) let's dive in get us started okay so this movie starts with on it it starts with a pretty clear tribute to uh, the original Blade Runner. It starts with very similar shots. It starts with a shot of someone's eye. It starts with a sweeping cityscape, mm-hmm. very long synth score. It's sort of ironic that I found the synth score in the original Blade Runner a little bit too retro, whereas in this movie, it's sort of supposed to be retro because it's supposed to be a tribute to the original score. Yep. So I did like uh, those sorts of things right off the bat. Um, it's immediately clear how insanely well shot this movie is um this movie did win for cinematography cinematography excuse me this year um for our old friend roger deakins roger deakins that's right um he did win for cinematography this year um i can't remember who um who did i say during one episode previously i thought should have won having not seen this movie i can't exactly remember who else was even up for that award but uh maybe that's a story for another day okay but Absolutely Roger Deakins, deserving win. 
on that regard. The, the desolate landscapes that he shows in this movie, a couple of them are, uh, especially towards the end of the movie, very Mad Max-ish. Mm-hmm. They, they very much remind me of Mad Max, how uh, at, at certain points... Um, some landscapes are very bleak, but then there are some deserts that are totally orange and colorful. And you're talking about when they go to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, you know what's funny? That's such a brilliant thing. Cause, so Mad Max is set in Australia, mm-hmm. right? He got the... Roger Deakins got the visual... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Inspiration? Thank you. From Australia when he saw the Sydney Opera House yeah. in a sandstorm. <laughs> that's how he got the inspiration for the Vegas shots. No, I, I can totally see that. That's that's very interesting that he would even say that. Um, I'll also add that I was talking a lot about how uh, Ridley Scott throws a lot of Christian symbolism into his movies. Um, one thing that Denis Villeneuve picked up on him from the original Blade Runner and continued in this movie, uh, there's a lot of shots of eyes in this movie. Yep. They focus a lot on the eyes. I had to really think about why that was. I didn't really know what they were trying to say by that. I guess it's because of that old expression, the eyes are the windows to the soul. There's a lot of talk about, you know, whether these replicants have souls or not, if they're human, what makes us human, what makes them unhuman. Yep. Um, so I think the shots of the eyes are just sort of a, a callback to that. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, I actually, honestly, I didn't really notice that as, as much as you did. Yeah, because, I mean, in the first movie as well, uh, they go to, like, an eye manufacturer for replicants, and there are shots of eyes at the beginning of the movie. There's a lot about the orange within the eye, as you alluded to. Yep. So I just thought that was sort of uh, because of the eyes being the window to the soul. I don't know if you agree with that, disagree with that. Now that you mention (laughs) it, I do. Like, that makes perfect sense. I I love that analogy. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um. I, I really liked the opening uh, sequence of this movie. Uh, you, it's funny, you had actually spoiled it for me on a previous show, I think, or maybe a previous conversation we had off mic. Probably both. Uh, probably both, but I had actually forgotten about it. I actually had completely forgotten that you had nice. spoiled the opening scene for me. And again, we are going into spoilers, so Dave Batista uh, is a farmer in this movie yep. who just so happens to be a replicant. So in this movie, we should also add, replicants have lengthened their lifespan. They, yep. uh, they're, the new models of replicants are being manufactured by a new company now and they can live for extended periods of time not just the four years as we saw in the first movie so dave batista the wrestler is a uh is a replicant who's in exile trying to hide from uh the blade runners and ryan gosling who is another uh who's a blade runner who is also a replicant yep uh is tasked with hunting him down and you learn that he's a replicant quickly so there's no question whatsoever i loved the way they revealed that he's a replicant as soon as uh, batista sort of hides a knife uh and when he's pretending to give himself up he jabs at him and stabs him in the arm not immediately but uh, later in their brawl he ends up stabbing in the arm and gosling doesn't even flinch he doesn't he just continues beating the shit out of batista and uh he batista knows immediately and he says uh how does it feel to be hunting your own kind or something to that effect? yeah exactly like that and, like the the opening scene the action is great it's a brutal brutal fight scene so the action is really well choreographed but it's also very revealing which is something that not enough action scenes do is further the plot mm-hmm. and this does it really 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 well yes it does <laughs> um this opening scene um the with with batista um this was actually storyboarded and originally meant for the original film to reveal Deckard. This was Oh, okay. So this is actually an homage to the original Blade Runner oh, I that, love that 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 Villeneuve and the writers decided to put into this film. 
So they just took a scene that was supposed to be in in for this scene in the original Blade Runner it was just supposed to introduce Deckard. He was just supposed to it was supposed to be him just hunting and killing a random replicant to give an idea of what Deckard is. But they decided to go against it. They did. They never even shot it. But it was all storyboarded, so they did those. They basically redid that whole scene for this movie as kind of an homage. I didn't know that, but that's totally awesome. Yeah. Um, One thing that they do in this movie and that they do in the original Blade Runner as well uh, that I've noticed is that the humans, the human characters are pretty much all assholes. There are exceptions, but almost all of the humans are assholes, and (laughs) almost all of the replicants are good. And that's, I think, important for the sort of philosophical uh, consequences of these movies. Yes. Is that even though these replicants are being good people, they're not people under the law. And that's sort of where this comes from. And it's uh, just absolutely driven home in the first scene is where they find out that Batista had landed on the planet with other replicants and uh, a couple of them had died or one of them had died and he buried it. He buried the other replicant, and he put a little flower on its grave. And Ryan Gosling, who's also a replicant, takes the flower and smells it. So it's established that they all they care for each other. They care for their dead. Uh, Ryan Gosling picking up and smelling the flower. He appreciates beauty. He likes aesthetically pleasing things. Yet they're and then he gets transported back to uh, his his home, and he's being called what do they call him? Skin Jobs. Uh, skin Jobs. Skinner, I think, is written yeah, on Skinner. His, Skinner. Yeah. That is a, Simpsons reference, oh. <laughs> which yeah, completely deadpan expression. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think that is really well handled. Yes. Uh, the way that they completely humanize the the replicants and then show you how poorly they're treated by humankind. Yep. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about the opening, uh, other than that there's a ton of silence, which is great. Uh, I mentioned that the original Blade Runner gets a little bit tedious, gets a little bit boring at certain points because of the pacing, but I think they walked the tightrope really well with the pacing in this movie. Um, it does have a pretty long runtime, which I think you're looking up right now. I am. So the <laughs> the original Blade Runner, it felt slow. Yeah. And it runs, it runs, it runs an hour and fifty seven minutes. <laughs> Blade Runner twenty forty nine never felt slow to me at any point whatsoever, and it runs at two hours and forty four minutes. No, I honestly could have sat through more when when <laughs> that, when when twenty forty nine ended. I was like, oh, that's it. Like that, <laughs> that's that's the end of the movie already. Only two hours and forty six minutes uh, all the way down the line. So. <laughs> Yeah, this movie, uh, the pacing uh, has definitely improved, and I think uh, Denis Villeneuve is to to thank for that, of course, with his direction. Um, There is lots of silence, lots of physical acting, lots of visual storytelling, which is something that there isn't enough of in Hollywood these days. Agreed. Absolutely be more of. Um, one, One thing that popped into my head, especially when he's talking to his holographic wife, is the movie Her. Yes. Uh, with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen. You haven't seen her? No, but all. I know all about it. Yeah, really, really good movie That's worth watching. Heard, yeah. But um, for those of you who don't know, her is about a guy named Joaquin Phoenix. Or sorry, a guy played by Joaquin Phoenix um, who it's futuristic, uh, sort of uh, smoggy, foggy sort of cityscapes. And he gets a, a wife who's an operating system. So she basically is, is inside of his computer and he falls in love with her. Um so this movie, uh, Blade Runner 2049, reminded me a lot of uh, of that movie as well. Yes, and what Sam's getting into is uh, after um, uh, Ryan Gosling's character, who his name is Kay, um, for the first half of the movie, and then yeah. 
picks up then his Joe. <laughs> and then it goes Joe. But when he, he goes, um, he returns home after going to the uh, police department to tell him what he's found and to uh, you know, say, I found um, uh, Dave Batista and killed him. Mm. Uh, he goes back to his apartment and he walks in and you just hear this female voice and they're having this <laughs> normal conversation that um, like a married couple would have. Turns out it's just this AI programming a holographic display of this girl that he loves and, and that loves him. And that's just furthering the themes of the movie is why isn't she human? Even though she's a computer, she feels love. She yep. she cares about Ryan Gosling, it appears. And the movie is saying, okay, why isn't she human even though she's inside of a computer chip? Yep. And it's, you know, it's about AI falling in love with AI. Yeah. It's two non-humans that are basically in love um there's actually a really interesting moment i thought between the two of them uh when they go outside together for the first time because normally she's confined to the house and then uh he has the special technology that he gives her for their anniversary that allows them to go outside together and allows her to leave the house yep there's a really interesting line that i loved that again just totally thematic uh she says i'm so happy when i'm with you and he responds you don't have to say that and i thought that's like it's, it's just funny that this AI, Ryan Gosling, thinks that she doesn't mean that. She thinks, oh, she's just a computer chip in my house. Like, she doesn't have to pretend to love me. Yep. And it's just really interesting in that regard, oh, I there's just, there's just so many, so many things going on in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's unreal. And, you know, I, I have heard a lot of people say, like, that whole, and the character's name of, of the AI that loves him, her name is Joy. Right. Um, the whole Joy plot could have been taken out of this movie i think it i i agree with you that it doesn't really further the conflict of this movie but it just adds so much thematically oh, that it, it's just it I, does i think it would take so much away if they took that out i of agree movie. and it would take away so many amazing visual parts yeah the visual part like when she first when she first goes outside she steps outside and she's just a hologram but it's raining outside, and she looks, and everywhere the rain hits, there's just a little flicker of light. Mm -hmm. And then the programming realizes it's raining outside. So as she's looking at her hand, it's dry as the rain passes through her. And then the computer programming realizes it's raining outside, so it starts to flicker. And then you start to see the water droplets appear in her hand because the computer's picking up that it's raining outside, so there should be water on the hologram. It's, yeah, and at first it's when so she, subtle. And when she walks outside, at first her hair is completely dry, yep. and by the time they're done, it's soaked. And like I don't know how they shot that out in the rain, but not having her get wet at first and then having her wet by the end, I I don't understand how that was done. Uh, some of the shots of them uh, kissing later in that scene, uh, where they're where she's partially transparent. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck they set those up. I think if you notice it, again, and I have a note here, and it's something I want to say. This is the kind of movie that rewards multiple viewings. Yes, you pick up on so many things. Like I said, I already I watched this movie. I probably finished watching it, you know, not even twenty four hours ago, and I already want to rewatch it. I want to go home and watch it again after this. It's so good. So because she's a hologram, and obviously in the real world, this is an actress playing against an actor. But if you know, if you notice in the scenes of Joy and Kay together, they somewhat embrace, like they try to cup each other's hands. But if you look carefully, you can see that they're not really touching. Mm -hmm. And it's that added element. If you were a hologram, you would just place your hand near where their their side of their cheekbone would be, but you wouldn't be able to touch it because your hand would just pass through it. So you would be, even though people in the 
podcast can't see what I'm doing, but you just hold your hand close to their cheek. And if you look carefully in those scenes, that's what they're doing. And it's just such a minor touch because a poor filmmaker would just have them actually place their hand against their face. And that you, you would know, well, those are two actors that are touching. But because they don't physically touch, their hands are just mere centimeters or millimeters away from touching where they would be. It even adds to the realism of what's going on in the movie. It's just little touches like that, little details that really separate great filmmakers. Totally. I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I think next in my notes chronologically again i just scribbled these down as i was watching it no worries but uh i just wrote down that ryan gosling reminds me a lot of his character from drive i I was i was trying to figure out i'm like why have i seen because ryan gosling sort of has this reputation as a really charismatic and fun sort of actor so i was like why does it feel so natural to me that he's playing this very quiet emotionless cold guy at least for the first act of the movie and i figured it out it's because he reminds me so much of his character from drive and he's really good at playing that side note for those of you that haven't seen drive oh drive is so good fucking watch it it was sort of marketed as like a like fast and furious sort of movie wasn't it i think so yeah and it's not at all like that it is i mean okay we can talk about drive some other time but he also plays a similar character in place beyond the pines another brilliant movie that i like even more than drive but um (laughs) getting a little i I fucking love drive and in my opinion if you if you want to see somebody who's fucking cool him in Drive is fucking cool. Anyways, yeah. so let's move off and drive and back into this building. Film. Okay, well, I mean, he plays the same character in Blade Runner 2049, so if you want to see cool, watch this as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was pretty much all I wanted to say, is that he reminds me a lot of his character from Drive and Place Beyond the Pines. But rightfully so, because he's so good at playing those types of things. Um, I'm sorry you had something to add on that. I was going to say, moving on from there, I'm pretty sure after they they get paused in the rain, he's called back to the um, to the precinct where they've uncovered or they've discovered the bones and they've opened up the bones that Batista had buried. Right. I don't know. Again, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it, but I did afterwards. I don't know if you heard them say, or you realize that those bones were Rachel. Uh, I like, obviously I figured it out later because yes. they reveal it later. I didn't uh, pick up on it the first okay. time around. Yeah. The, it is Rachel. The bones in there mm-hmm. are Rachel from the first film and they do reveal. And this is where the, crux of the movie begins yeah, this is where the plot starts getting kicked in they reveal that this re- this person they didn't real they don't realize at first this person died during childbirth so they like, discovered during the autopsy I yeah guess. they discovered the autopsy on the bones that this person died during childbirth and it's i don't know which is either a testament to the skill of ryan gosling or the ineptitude of the medical examiner there who doesn't see that this is a replicant's bones. So Ryan Gosling makes them zoom in on the bones in this funky little machine where you see the serial number, like microscopic level, on the bones, revealing that this replicant has given birth, and they're not supposed to be able to. Yeah, and this just raises so many questions. Like, how was this replicant created? Where is the child that it gave birth to? Who was this person? And it just creates so many questions that allow the plot to drive so smoothly from there on out. And this also causes a problem for the piece of shit humans because they don't want replicants. Um, they don't want replicants reproducing. Um, they they allude to it a little bit. Again, this is one of the things about the films that rewards multiple viewings. Is you find out later there was a replicant uprising that was quelched. Um, that was caused 
they reference it again, and I meant to watch these last night, and I totally forgot. But there are three short films that fill in the 30-year gap between the first film and this film. Ooh, that's interesting. I know, and I meant to text you yesterday to see if you had time to watch them. To I would say, not have, but... I, and I meant to watch them to get ready for this, and I feel bad, but there are three short films that fill in the gaps. So they continually reference the blackout, which was when, which was, I learn later on, and is revealed in one of the short films, um, that the replicants caused this blackout that erased all data prior to, I think, 2020 or something like that. Um, it was part of the replicant uprising. So information prior to 2020 is incredibly hard to come by, which comes in, is an important point later on. So we're kind of going really in depth in this movie and it's probably because both of us love this movie so much. Yeah, this movie is fucking awesome. I have, I have no problem with us going in depth. I still have a shit ton more notes and we're already like almost an hour 15 in. Okay. So we should speed things up here (laughs) because we're, we're not even halfway through the movie yet. Uh, do you want to stay on that a little bit more or? No, I, I just want to like, they, for those of you not paying attention, um, it is. Rev- I don't. It's not at that point, but you find out later on that that was Rachel from the first film. For sure. Um, do you want to talk about Jared Leto a little bit? Is it the scene after this? They. I can't remember where they find out about Jared Leto. Okay, Jared Leto. I don't know if he's. To me, he's starting to come across as kind of a Jared Leto, not the character he plays, Neander Wallace. Jared Leto's starting to come across as a pretentious prick to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I heard about all the bullshit he did for Joker, for Suicide Squad. I didn't hear about that. You, no, you didn't hear that he, like, mailed, like, used condoms and dead rats to his co-stars because he was staying in character as Joker. What a fucking asshole. Yes. Uh, and there's other things as well. Yeah. In this film... The character he plays, Neander Wallace, who took over the Tyrell Corporation, is now the one producing all of these replicants. Mm-hmm. Neander Wallace is blind. Yeah. Those contact lenses that he wore made him blind for real. Oh, okay. He couldn't fake it. He actually had to be blind. Okay, I mean, I get it. <laughs> that's not... I, that's I, not acting. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it, it works on screen. Like I didn't know that, so I, I liked his blind performance, but... Knowing that, like, come on, just act blind for a movie. Yeah, like, do I don't. It all the time. I don't know. Like, he's just starting to come across as a bit of a pretentious prick to me. No, I totally read you on that. That um, being said, I did like him in this movie. I did like him in this movie. Yeah, and it, uh, going back to the symbolism about eyes, like yep. him being blind, it's sort of the. It's sort of the opposite of the, like, in Greek mythology and a bunch of mythologies, like, blind people are always the really wise ones. Mm-hmm. I guess they sort of. Uh, they you, they can't really decide if they want to make him wise or if they want to make him a little bit crazy. Um, by the way, the scene uh, where uh, a replicant is born, I use air quotes around the word born, yep. uh, sort of created, yep. and it, the scene is totally yellow and like and creepy, and this replicant is also uh, doesn't have the ability to see or move or really fight back or anything, and he just brutally murders this replicant in cold blood. That was a really creepy scene, and I, I mean, I mean that in a good way because yep. that's entirely what it was supposed to be. But that whole scene just makes you feel like, okay, Jared Leto's character in this movie is a fucking creep and just a, a really not so savory dude. Yeah, he's also a creep, but and that's one of the again. This is one of the times where the visuals of the film kind of distract you because. The film, this scene is so beautifully shot, uh-huh. and let's not lie, there's a, a beautiful naked woman in this yep. scene, so it is a little distracting, <clears throat> but the monologue that Jared Leto is speaking mm-hmm. 
is very important to listen to because it leads into his truths. He starts revealing that Tyrell from the first film that Roy Batty killed had actually known that replicants could reproduce. Yeah. And he was able to make this happen, hence how Rachel became pregnant. Neander Wallace is unable to figure this out. Now, some people have said that the reason he kills this woman right before he guts her, he actually places her hand right where her womb would be. Mm -hmm. Some people feel that he, because he's blind, he could feel that her reproductive organs were incapable of reproducing, and so he killed her because she was unable to serve the purpose of what he wanted, and that was to be able to be a replicant that could reproduce. Uh That's what I've heard. No, I can I can totally see how that would be it because otherwise he's just kind of a guy whose job it is to create replicants that just killed one of his replicants. So so otherwise he's just kind of an asshole. Yes, <laughs> but uh, that way sounds a lot more uh, more interesting your way. So I totally agree with that. Um, this was also the introduction introduction of the character Love. Yeah, and who, she is uh, she's interesting. Who made my top villains list? Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay, uh, no, I I can believe that. I honestly kind of wish. I had even considered her because she's really good. Yes. She's really, really good. Um, <laughs> but we'll, of course, talk about her in a future episode. Yes. And she's got uh, she's got a, a, a couple of really good scenes, especially when she meets up with uh, Robin Wright Penn. Yes, for sure. Okay. Um, next, I have the orphanage uh, where he shows up at the orphanage. So Ryan Gosling. Holy shit, we're jumping that far ahead. Is that too far ahead? Did I skip a bunch of notes in the middle? Uh, a little bit. Is but... there anything you want to touch on before I go to that? Uh, let's see. So he goes and speaks with Gaff. Um, so, um, Robin Wright Penn is Kay's boss. Mm-hmm. She tells him that he needs to find this child and kill it. Yeah. Um, Ryan Gosling has his memory, mm-hmm. um, which he reveals, uh, later on in a, a scene a little bit later on to Robin Wright Penn. She tells him, um, I want, she's like, tell me your, your memory, which is a memory implant. So he describes the scene where he's being chased by these little boys, um, in an orphanage, um, he, he's got a wooden horse. Now, this is set in the future where there are no trees. Um, so, so wood ha- is a, it's a luxury. It's at at the, some point, he shows it to somebody, and they go, whoa, wooden horse, you must be absolutely loaded. Yeah. yeah. So and it's, it's a, a tiny, tiny, tiny little toy. Tiny little toy. Um, he's being chased by these little boys, um, and he hides it in a boiler. Um, and he says, the boys beat me, but I still wouldn't tell them where it was. And that's the only memory he has. Uh, or that's the only memory he reveals. If he has other implanted memories, he doesn't. It's not a part of the movie. Not relevant. Not relevant. Um, so at this point, I can't remember how he gets the lead that tells him to go to San Diego, where this orphanage is. Yeah, and I San Diego is a complete dump. It yeah. is just a city of garbage. And then in 2049, it's also a dump. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, again, where the visuals of this film are amazing. Because when he, he ends up getting shot down by these scavengers, um, he gets out, and this is not CGI. I don't know where they filmed this, but that was real. Wait, what was real? The San, That garbage city he landed in? Yeah. That's real. Oh my god. It's real. When he claw, like when he climbs up that mountain of garbage and then he comes over the top and then you see those two buildings, yeah. that's definitely CGI. But that, like where he crash lands and he has those fights with the scavengers, Crazy. that's somewhere real. That's pretty like, nuts. It's absolutely astounding. Again, the visuals of this movie. If you watch 
the original Blade Runner and you're astounded by the visuals, when you watch this one... It blows it out of the water, it, man. This is... I begged and pleaded that this was finally going to win Best Cinematography for Roger Deakins, and he finally did win, and this is why. Like, this movie is one of the best-looking movies I've seen in the last 15 years, easily. Um, the only other ones, honestly, the only other ones that come off the top of my head that would even come close to this would be Avatar and The Life of Pi. Yeah, totally. Um, both of which won Best Cinematography of the Year they came out with. And rightfully so. Um, so, uh, at this point, you mentioned that uh, in his memory, he he's going to an orphanage. I think at, at the time of the memory, he doesn't know that it's an orphanage. He just knows that he's being chased by a bunch of boys, right? Oh, that could be true. Yeah, I think he just knows that he's being chased by a bunch of young boys at that point and ends up getting the crap kicked out of him yep. for this wooden horse. So that, I mean, if he knew that that memory was at an orphanage and then he showed up to this orphanage, you as the viewer, you would be like, oh, okay, that's, uh, like, that's obvious where he true. is. Yeah. So it's actually a big reveal where he is when he shows up at this orphanage, and it's the place where, in his memory, which may or may not be an implant, uh, that it's where the memory actually ended up happening, right? Yes. At what point... I'm trying to remember now. Mm-hmm. At what point does Kay start to think that he is the son, that he is the child? I think is it's it... around... I think he might already have suspicions at this point, but when he goes... To the uh, Dream Maker? Yeah, when he... Oh, sorry, I, don't, I think the Dream Maker is after this scene, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think at this point when he's in the orphanage and he starts walking around the tunnels and the different crevices of this place and he realize, realizes he recognizes it, he goes into one of the furnaces and rediscovers the toy horse. Yes, he finds it where it was hidden. Yeah, and oh, sorry, you know what? You know when it is that he starts to suspect it? It's when he goes back to the planet where he, uh, or go, sorry, not the planet, it goes back to the place where he killed Batista and discovers the inscription on the tree. Right. So there's an inscription on this tree and there's an inscription on the toy horse. So yep. on the bottom of the toy horse, he remembers this inscription. I can't remember the number. I think 61021. Yeah, 61021. Uh, so then. When he goes back to Batista's planet, where or I keep saying planet because this movie's so <laughs> futuristic, it goes back to the place where he killed Batista. Uh, it also says six ten twenty one on this tree, and yep. that's where he's like, "Oh fuck, I might be this kid that was born." And he begins to suspect some stuff. So then, when he goes to this orphanage and he discovers that, oh my god, this is the place I remember, and he rediscovers this toy horse with the inscription on it, he starts to think, "Oh fuck, I'm the kid I'm supposed to be killing." And then the movie kind of even gets kicked into more high gear from there. Right. Yeah. So after, oh, so you, did you want to touch on the orphanage more? Or no, you I, get, think that's, I think that's about it. Okay. So I think it's after the orphanage where it comes to one of the most amazing visual parts of this film when he goes to the Dream Maker. Yeah. It's very jarring at first, actually. Holy this shit. Movie, this movie is very gray. It's very beige. There are some oranges in there. The color palette of this movie is very much in that range. It never really goes past yellow. And then when he goes to this Dream Maker, it's this beautiful, lush, green uh, scape at first. Yeah. Um, do you want to touch on that some more? So he goes to, and I call her the Dream Maker, but I guess I guess she's more of a Memory Maker. That's would be. Yeah, that's what she is. So I she, think that's her official yeah, title, Memory she's, Maker. She's the one that makes these memories that they implant into replicants. And she has this genetic disorder that kind of traps her inside this bubble. And to occupy her time... She now makes these memories. And as she's talking with Kay, she starts explaining how she makes these memories. And you also get to see her actually making this memory. And she's creating a memory of a birthday party, Of a birthday party. And she has this little sphere. As she twists it, the memory, the vision of that she's making starts to change. And you see that the angles of it change and the little details of it change. And it's 
fucking amazing. You're just like, you, don't, you again, it's one of those times where you wish the visual wasn't so good because you should be listening to what she's saying, but you're astounded by what you see on the screen. So again, this is why I, I say once again, this movie rewards multiple viewings because the second and third time I've watched this movie, I hear what she says even more. Yeah, and I think uh, I, if I can relate this back to what we were talking about, I think last week where uh, I talked about a Quentin Tarantino quote where he was talking about uh, There Will Be Blood, how he didn't realize all the great visual moments in it. Yep. This, I think, was one of those for me because it looks so natural and so good and it doesn't even look like CGI that and you're so invested in this world that for a moment I was like, oh yeah, okay, there's a there's a memory maker. Like it's just <laughs> it's just part of the world. It didn't seem out of place at all. And looking back on it, it is just such a beautiful visual moment and such a difficult thing to pull off that I have no clue whatsoever how uh, how the visual effects artists of this movie pulled it off. <clears throat> um, so that's the the memory maker scene. Uh, where do we go from there? Um. I'm not sure if that's where I think the one scene we missed. Yeah. The one, the one, I think the one scene we did miss trying to think of when the sex scene was. Yeah. I have that a few notes down, uh, just because after he's, uh, at the orphanage, I believe he ends up getting picked up for his baseline testing is what I wanted to touch on. And I loved, uh, he so Ryan Gosling, who's the replicant, of course, who's also a Blade Runner, always has to go back for these tests. And if he doesn't pass the tests, uh, if he shows any sort of emotional response, if they think he's developed emotions of any kind, they'll terminate him. They'll yep. they'll I re- guess re- retire him. Retire in massive air quotes. They'll yeah. retire him. Um. So he goes back for his baseline tests, and you can feel like they don't really explain the tests all that well. They don't. Not that they even have to. They don't really explain what's going on. But you can even tell that he's nervous yep. and he's, he's starting to feel some things about potentially being this uh, this chosen one, this kid. And the voice who's doing the baseline testing even tells him, like, you're not even fucking close to your baseline. Like, you just think he's locked into this room and you think it's the end for him. Luckily, he, te- he lies to Robin Wright, which replicants aren't supposed to be able yep. to do. He lies to her and tells her, I did it. What you wanted me to do, killing this kid it's done. It's taken care of. And she immediately believes him, of course, because they can't lie. Yep. Um, so she... Sorry, you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say that she tells him, like, it's a huge weight off her back, and she manages... She says, okay, I can get you out of the building, but you need to be back on your baseline for the next time you're in here, or else I can't help you. Yep. Um, so I think that's when he goes home and yep. joy so he's an absolute wreck at this point a wreck. he's an emotional wreck which is weird for a robot <laughs> yep but he's an emotional wreck he doesn't know how he's going to get back and suppress these emotions that he's feeling and his wife is waiting for him um and this is out of a oh god out of an amazing visual film this is again another standout scene visually joy has hired a prostitute yeah basically what she is um and they're going to sync up so joy can feel what it's like to have sex with k which is absolutely a crazy idea for a scene would you consider this a threesome or uh is this uh something else entirely because so it's technically having sex with one person i guess pretty much that one person is two people yeah (laughs) um this sounds really 
this sounds more sexualized than it is. The it's way really it's, not. It's not a sexy scene. It's, like, not it's a supposed sexy to be a very touching scene and, and very for, heartwarming. For me, scene. it is. Yeah. Um, because you can feel the affection that Joy has for Kay. Just um, further reinforcing the point that this movie is trying to make that even though these people are artificial, they're still they're still people. They're still people. Mm-hmm. So she, Joy, and the um, prostitute's name is mariette um they sync up and i didn't quite understand how they did it but i didn't care about how they did it that's one of the things i liked about this movie and i was actually going to touch about touch on this with the uh memory maker scene and totally forgot to i love how this movie decides what to explain and what not to explain yes it's a a great example of world building i always point to is mad max one of the best movies with world building i've seen in the last several years (laughs) is that they don't explain anything in that movie yep and i love that and blade runner 2049 really takes a page out of that book there are some things that they explain you know if they go around calling people blade runners people aren't going to know what that is unless they explain it which is fine yep but for the most part a lot of the technology including the little sphere that the memory maker makes yep. they don't explain any of it because it's not important it doesn't matter as long as the world building is consistent enough um I, there's a word that I learned in English class in like grade 10 called uh, verisimilitude <laughs> and I'll never forget that it's just being internally consistent as long as the world makes sense in and of itself you don't have to explain every little detail and I I love how this movie didn't even bother explaining the sex scene me too it was, it was done perfectly and it's done it is done really well and so as Kay and Mariette and Joy um, it just kind of starts out with them just kind of just touching each other mm-hmm. Um there's a little bit of a you can see uh, Mariette and Joy, they're the same person as Joy's kind of standing inside of Mariette, and I can't describe it enough. But when you see this for the first time, I hope you are as astounded as I was. Um, so moving on from there, uh, I'm sorry. At this oh. point, I just have a little note after the sex scene. Uh, the only note I wrote down. I was very tired at this point. It was past midnight. It just says. Look at me, I'm in this movie now. I, <laughs> I do believe that's a reference to uh, the um, the Captain Phillips uh, Somali <laughs> pirate who ends up showing up in this movie. Barkat Abdi <laughs> yes. is, is the actor's so, name. Yeah, the guy from Captain Phillips who says, look at me, I am the captain now. I, yeah, he's in this movie briefly. Not that that's important. That's I thought awesome. I should point that out. <laughs> he, it is a, a Somali actor who yeah. is in Captain Phillips. He plays the main villain in Captain Phillips. Shows up for a, a one scene. Great movie, Captain Phillips. By oh, the way. Yeah. such a great movie. Um, <laughs> shows up for a little one scene cameo in this movie and plays an important part. He just shows... Um, Sorry, Kay is now trying to figure out where this horse is from, so he takes it. It's made out of wood, and uh, this character's name is Doc Badger, tells him that it has some radiation into it, and the only place that would have this amount of radiation is a place where a dirty bomb went off, and that's Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So Kay jumps in his flying car and heads to Las Vegas. Important point, he is now kind of on the run, because he's not at this point he's not going to go back for his baseline test so he is now being he's going to be hunted by the police so to make sure that they don't know where he can go he takes joy out of their in-home holographic projector and puts it into his basically uh u- portable USB stick yeah where she can be the same one that he took her out inside in but now that her entire programming is put inside this stick if he loses it or it's destroyed 
he will lose joy forever. Because he has to do that, right? Otherwise, they'll be able to, like, I'll make it sound like torture if I say it like this, even though it wouldn't be. Like, they can get any information out of her that they want because she's a computer. They can literally just program in that they want to find out where he is and boom. like Yeah, and everything that, and he tells Joy everything. Yeah. So she knows that he thinks that he's this baby. He because he's told her and at this point that she she's the one that gives him the name Joe. She's like you you were you born. You need a human name. You need a human you name. Were you were born. Mm-hmm. So she calls him Joe. Um so he has to take her with him. So he takes off to Las Vegas. At this point we're probably close to 2 hours into the movie and it it was at this point sadly this is where again the marketing showed I understand why they did it. They had to have Harrison Ford's face in the marketing. Yes. I get it to put asses in the seats to sell tickets. Yeah, I have a the first note on the top of my last page is Harrison Ford reveal would be huge. I would have lost my mind when he showed up in this movie if I didn't already know he was showing up. Yes, and it's so much like the Hulk reveal in Thor. Yep. They had he had to be in the marketing to put asses in the seats. I, I mean, you and I have talked not necessarily on mic, but I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 trailer how they revealed all the good jokes. It's yes. just it's an epidemic in movies these days is spoiling the entire movie. I mean, not that this was a good movie anyway, but Batman vs Superman I mean, that entire, the plot of the movie was just, okay, this happens, then this happens, then this happens in the trailer, every single beat of the plot. It's just sad that that's how they have to market things. I'm nostalgic for the days of eight years ago when Inception came out and nobody knew what it was about. I just, I remember even, I mean, I wasn't that old when Inception came out. I was, I don't think I was even a teenager yet. And, or sorry, I was probably in my early teens, like 13. Um, and just nothing was revealed in the plot in that trailer. And it was just, bah, Inception. And it was just, that was great marketing. That got me to go, and it didn't spoil anything. I so agree. Yeah. I think a little bit of a tangent there about trailers, but I think that's something that needs to be changed because totally. this part of the movie was ruined for me, and I hated it. Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was really unfortunate. So he goes, Gosling's going, he's going to Las Vegas to basically find his dad. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to go find my daddy. <laughs> and so I is... did want to add just at one point when he shows up there there are bees all over the place yes when one lands on his hand I thought that was a reference to the first movie when uh, in one of the I can't remember what they call the test the comp void comp test void comp tests thank you one of the questions in it if there was a bee or if there was a wasp on your hand would you kill it oh, and then damn I bet you that is yeah. So then when the wasp lands on his hand in this movie, uh, Ryan Gosling just stares at it and it flies away. And I thought that was a, a nice humanizing moment for him. Yep. Anyway, uh, sorry, Harrison Ford. Well done. That's awesome. <laughs> so he ends up finding Harrison Ford, who, again, if if you ne- if they'd never had a trailer for this and you didn't know that he was in this movie, this would have been like a stand-up in your seat in the theater screaming excitement. Like it would have been unfucking believable but because I knew he was in the movie, I was kind of almost at the same time kind of waiting for him, but because yeah. I had seen the trailer and the visual style of this movie is so amazing, I knew that this is the scene where he was going to be revealed. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's not exactly like a huge plot twist. Like, uh, the yes. name Deckard comes up numerous times before this, so it's not exactly a huge surprise, but still wish it wasn't revealed in the trailer for me, at yeah. least. So, Deckard believes that Joe mm-hmm. slash K is here to kill him. So they have a little, a little kerfuffle. 
and what an awesome scene that is when they're in, in the, elvis, the vegas in the uh, vegas elvis room yeah the hologram <sighs> elvis room and it's like glitching out and like the whole thing is just so creative and well done and tense like <laughs> this uh, this hologram hasn't been used in years so when it gets turned on and it's jumping all over it'll start and stop and the music will start and stop and it makes you feel so on edge because at this point you don't know where harrison ford is and he's trying to kill our pro- protagonist Kay. Yep. So when this music starts and stops, it's just it's jarring and it, it just raises the tension so much and it's so creative. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they have a little kerfuffle. Then they make up and they have some whiskey together. Yep. Answers some questions for Joe and, and Joe the whole time. He doesn't reveal that he thinks he's his son. Yeah, he does not tell Harrison Ford that you're my daddy. He he uh, interrogates him about where this kid is, but he doesn't say, hey, I, you're my dad. <laughs> yeah. So Harrison Ford reveals that he never met the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's at this point, I think he has a line where, for me, it reveals that he is a replicant because he says they were hunting us. Yes. Now, that, for, in my opinion, I feel that he means us in regards to replicants, but he could mean that they were just hunting him and Rachel and the pregnant one. I think that is keeping the... it sort of open-ended a little bit. Yeah. I, I do agree. That's a totally valid interpretation of it. it. It doesn't fully sell me on the idea that he's a replicant, but it keeps it open for sure. Yeah. So at this point, um, how did they track him? Well, when they were having sex with the prostitute. No, no, no. The oh, pro- yeah. She, the he pro- ended up taking that sorry, out. I, no, no, no. I'm mm. sorry, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, sure. The prostitute was hired by someone that we hadn't talked about, yeah. uh, Frasia, who we don't even learn her name, but she's the one that had the prostitute talk to him at the beginning right. in the rain. Yeah. Um, so she's on that side. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember how Love tracked him there. She oh, Frasia... No, no. Right. Sorry. Love Love has access to the joy stick. <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. No pun intended. Although pun intended. I'm so sure. Love shows up with some flunkies and they crash the party and they kidnap Harrison Ford. It's also during a little fight where she does this fucking great little fucking axe kick. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> she sorry to use some mma reference for people that don't know what an axe kick is but mm. it's basically like you're swinging an axe downward except with your fucking leg yeah and she fucking kicks the shit <laughs> out of ryan gosling even though this isn't an action movie the action in this movie is awesome like at this particular moment the the gun usage that uh, especially on ryan gosling's behalf i mean he is a robot after all he yep. is a replicant ryan gosling with a gun totally reminded me of john wick Uh, especially the way the camera lingers on him not the same way it does in john wick but it lingers on him while he's shooting it's very clear who he's aiming at and what's happening the the action at a lot of parts is very in camera which is awesome yeah the this action scene lasts what maybe two minutes like it's not long no again not an action film no um but this action scene is awesome Mm -hmm. so love kicks his ass and then the again, I, there's no other way I can describe it. The joystick falls out, <laughs> yeah. and she's about to crush it when Joy appears, and Love knows that if she crushes this, he is going to lose his love. <laughs> oh my god! He's going to lose. He's going to lose his lady. Yeah, they were a little on the nose with the female names in this movie, weren't yeah. they? <laughs> and it's a little heartbreaking because she, Joy, begs for her life. And Love's not going to have any of it. And just as Love brings her foot down on it, Joy tells Joe that she loves him. And that's the last thing he hears 
rate as the foot comes down and he loses joy forever. Yeah, that scene, my heart was pounding a little bit. That was a really tough emotional scene, and that that was just so well executed. I mm-hmm. mean, to be fair, if there's one little critique I have there, it's that as soon as, I mean, this is half an hour earlier at this point, as soon as Joy is taken out of the wall and she's just in this USB stick, and she says, you know, if that's destroyed, I'm lost forever. Yep. At that point, I'm like, oh, well, she's dead. Like, yeah. like, it wasn't exactly out of nowhere, which sort of took it, took away from the emotional impact for me. But it was still a really well-executed scene. It was. So they take Harrison Ford away. Um, and then Ryan Gosling is left in Las Vegas. Uh, Harrison Ford is taken to meet Neander Wallace, uh, who wants to know where this baby is. And Harrison Ford tells him the truth. He's like, I don't know. I never met him. Neander Wallace doesn't believe him and decides that they're, he's going to take him off-world because humans have colonized nine other planets with the help of replicants. Um, and he tells him, if you think you know what pain is, you've yet to experience what pain truly is. So he commands Love to take Harrison Ford away to um, to basically be tortured. Prior to this, um, I can't remember how Ryan Gosling comes across or how f- I, th- I think fascia I think they pick him up in Las Vegas because of the tracker that right Mariette yes. so th- this is wh- and this is where Ryan Gosling again shows his acting prowess because fascia was there when the child was born and she reveals that the child was a female yeah, so Ryan Gosling, uh, or Harrison Ford, is not Ryan Gosling's daddy, as it turns out. Ryan Gosling scene. is not the chosen one. He's just a replicant. Was that a shock to you? It was, and I liked it a lot. Honestly, I I can't say it was a shock, but they definitely left it open-ended enough that I had my suspicions. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, when he shows up to uh, the memory maker, she says something really open-ended and ominous that made me think maybe he wasn't. What was it again? It probably was when he asks if the memory he has is real. Yeah, and she says, yes, somebody had this memory yeah. at some point. Yes. Like, this is a real memory, not an implant. Th- yeah, she's like, this is a real memory. This yeah, is not- that's all she says, that's- but she leaves it open-ended enough that she doesn't say whose memory it is. Yeah, she doesn't say so it's your memory. At that point, I was a little bit suspicious. It still was, I, I felt the emotional weight, definitely, of the reveal, but it also sort of made sense for me at the same time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so then Ryan has to decide uh at this point i can't remember where we go from there he does go back he does go back to la and that's where he sees the large i guess advertisement for joy right um which is a little heartbreaking oh yeah that was tough a little heartbreaking um where he kind of realizes i think that's where he kind of realizes that i i don't i don't know how to articulate this but it, it's a, again, it's a pretty powerful scene, and it, again, just visually, visually beautiful. The large, like, what is it, like, ten-story holographic advertisement for Joy? Yeah. Um, he makes a decision that he wants to. He has to save Deckard, even though this is no longer his father. He's not the chosen one. He wants to do what's right, and so he wants to help. The reason that Facia. Fasia has asked him to kill Deckard. He needs to kill Deckard to start the uh, to start the, the revolution. Yeah, start the revolution for the replicants. Yes. So he, I can't remember how he finds out where they're going because they're taking him. They're 
their love has got them in a in a flying cars. They're flying past the dam that separates the ocean from from L.A. Mm. Am I missing anything at this so point? I think uh, well, the interrogation scene between uh, Harrison Ford and Jared Leto, you did touch on it a little bit, but I there is a CGI um, Rachel. Oh, Rachel, yeah, which I, is the, oh my god, that's a really good scene that I just wanted to wow. touch on. Yeah, and I mean, you you talk about all the CGI faces that we've seen in movies in recent years, in like Rogue One, like Rogue One, yeah, like Leia and uh, the General or Admiral. Uh, one of the other characters in uh, the Star Wars universe is yep. CGI as well. I can't remember his name. But Rachel's CGI is far and away the best. She looks incredibly realistic. It's, it's amazing. Holy cow. Yeah. Like, I was, I, I was just like, is that, like, did they find a, a double? Like, yeah. did they find somebody that looks like Sean Young? Nope. Yeah. So what Jared Leto is saying to Harrison Ford is, if you give up where this kid is, will allow you to have uh, replicant Rachel. Well, we've made another entirely faithful copy of her, and she can all be yours if you just yep. let us know uh, where this child is. And Harrison Ford's response is so incredibly badass and so bittersweet. He looks at Rachel, turns his back, and faces Jared Leto and says, her eyes were green. Yes. And walks away. <laughs> oh my god. That was just such a, a fist pump moment. And you can see that it's affecting him so much. And you can... By the way, this is some of the best acting I've seen from Harrison Ford ever. In any movie. Like, there's a lot of accusations in recent years of him sort of phoning it in to a lot of movies as he gets older. Yep. He gives everything he has in this movie. This is, like I said, one of the best acting performances I've ever seen from him. Yep. I agree. Um, so... There is a scene I forgot because mm-hmm. it's my favorite scene with Love. Right. And this is Love's trying to find out where where Kay is and he she goes to take... This is jumping back a little bit. Jumping back a lot and I apologize, <laughs> but I just want to touch on it. She goes to Robin Wright Penn and wants to know where Kay is. Mm-hmm. And she is fucking vicious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, just fucking vicious and so intense. It was this scene... That really, this is the scene that solidified her nomination for best villain for me. Yeah, because she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but I loved her in this part. Um, so jumping back ahead, Joe slash K has decided he's going to find Deckard, chases them down, I, and again I I don't remember how he found out that he was that they where they were, but finds them. Hmm. Um, kind of crashes into the flying car, which crashes into the ocean. And Love and Kay have a fight, and Love is, again, just a fucking ass kicker. Yeah. I I can't even describe these action scenes. Again, it's all very in-camera, very awesome, but it is two replicants fighting at the same time, so it's very futuristic, and both of them are clearly very strong and yep. clearly very adept fighters, so... Yeah, this is a really well choreographed scene, and the stakes are really high because at the same time, Harrison Ford's uh, vehicle, I guess, that he's being transported in is filling up with water. Yeah, and he's handcuffed to the seat. Yeah, so he can't free himself. So there's sort of this decision that Ryan Gosling has to make at one point during this fight. Uh, They almost make him go for this choice, I guess, is does he continue to fight love or I guess it's not really a choice. It's more of like a fighting against the clock thing. He needs to... He needs to kick this girl's ass before Harrison Ford drowns. Yes. And you feel the tension. And yes. And you feel the stakes. And, like, oh, like he's not going to get there in time. He's not going to get there in time. And it's... 
He cuts it pretty close, but he, he does, does get there in time. Of course he does. Of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he saves the day. Facia and the other replicants want Decker dead. They've tasked K, Joe, with this task. And instead he decides to take Decker to see his daughter, who is the memory maker. Oh, man. What an absolute... Absolutely brilliant ending to this movie, and Ryan Gosling doesn't even go inside. I mean, he's obviously very wounded from this fight. He should be going to a hospital or wherever it is that replicants go to. Yep. I guess he is a wanted man after all. But while Harrison Ford is inside seeing his kid, Ryan Gosling is sitting on the steps outside this place in the middle of a... I guess it's not quite a storm, but in the middle of a snowfall and just dies there on the steps appreciating something beautiful and yes. it's such a good end to his arc it's so perfect and i squealed in joy <laughs> as much as obviously you want your protagonist to live it was just an absolutely perfect and bittersweet ending to his arc agreed and then it was just such a great ending to the movie mm-hmm. um it basically ends right there after decker yeah the final line of the movie is also very good it's yep. just uh, his daughter saying it's beautiful, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> so we kind of basically just told everybody the whole movie, but yep. we gave everybody a spoiler warning. Yep. Um, I fucking loved this movie. No, I, if there's one regret I have about this movie, it's that I didn't see it sooner. I, You've been telling me for forever. I've been hearing for forever that I need to see it. The 81 on Metacritic is an absolute travesty. This was one of my favorite movies that came out in 2017, and I'm... If I can make a prediction for myself, I'm going to rewatch this probably within a week if, <sighs> if I can be so bold and can make the time for it. But yeah, bravo, Mr. Denis Villeneuve, who's made yet another absolute masterpiece of a movie. And I talked what seems like forever ago now about Taylor Sheridan and how yep. I'll go see anything that he writes or directs. If Denis Villeneuve puts his name anywhere near a movie, I will go see it. I'm I'm with you 100%. He is easily in my top 10 directors right now. Mm-hmm. I'm highly I'm highly anticipating his next film, which for those of you that don't know, he's doing Dune. So, you can get excited for Dune. Oh, I'm very excited. Um I don't th- did you, is there anything else that you want to touch on for Blade Runner 2049? I, I think thi- we got into every nook and cranny in there. I I'm, think I don't think there's any stone left unturned. Of course, like you said, there's so much going on with this movie that we could talk about it forever um and we honestly probably could do just like we you can you and i can talk about this movie even more off mic later but i think for the time being that's a good place to leave it Um, i I, I was planning on asking you like so we were going to discuss in my mind comparisons between the two like which which was better which did you like better but it seems pretty clear from both of our descriptions that 2049 is the clear winner blade runner is also a good movie it is it's just in my mind, it it's not even close. It's not even close to how good twenty forty nine is. I I agree a hundred percent. Um, so, well, I guess with that, we'll we'll start to say our goodbyes. Um, both of us really love Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Probably after we end this podcast, Sam and I are going to continue talking about it. Um, but we've gone on long enough, so we don't need to bore you guys anymore. Um, please, uh, for iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. Let's help raise our profile so other people can be just as bored as you are. Um, you can <laughs> for the two of you who are probably still <laughs> listening, and they're probably myself and Manny. <laughs> Again, you can reach us uh, via email at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
Um, please like our Facebook page. You can contact us through there. Um, and also, if you want to contact us and you have ideas for shows and episodes, please feel free. We are open to any and all ideas. Um, maybe an idea that you have will spark a different idea for us. We would love to hear from you guys. So for the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I am Manny Manuel. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.